ministry and music. In Sunday mornings, we have been considering the book of Ecclesiastes. In particular, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, it says that there is an appointed time for everything. For everything there is a season, and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. That's true of each and every one of us. There is a time for us to be born, and there is a time for us to die. It's not only true of us, but it is also true of the Lord Jesus Christ. God had appointed a time for Jesus to be born. And Jesus was born at precisely the right time. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 says, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. So He was born in the fullness of time. That means that He was born at just the right time, and that it was an anticipated time, a long-awaited time. Finally, that time had come. There were many different reasons as to why the birth of Jesus Christ was at the right time. Why that was a unique point of history and why it was so appropriate that Jesus be born when he was. Uh, I submit to you just one. And that is that Jesus was born at a time in which Israel was under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And uh, one of the unique aspects of being under the oppression of the Roman Empire was that they had a uh, capital punishment and Jesus had to die uh, in order that uh, he bear our sins. He had to pay the consequences for those sins that require the taking of a life, such as murder and others. And so Jesus was born at the right time, born under a nation that had capital punishment. And not only that, but born under a nation that practiced crucifixion, which certainly was very unique and uh, prophesied in the Old Testament. So he's born at the right time. But tonight, what I want to focus on is the fact that he died at the right time. Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 13. I'll tell you up front that I'm not going to tell you anything new tonight if you've been a Christian for any period of time. But just because it's not new, I hope that doesn't mean it won't be fresh. Uh, I'm asking that uh, you, you try to approach this passage as though you hadn't heard it all before. Because there is a, a depth to this, if we allow ourselves to, to meditate upon it, that is truly uh, amazing. And I'm going to really just focus on verse 1 of chapter 13 tonight. I'm not really going to deal with all these verses, just verse 1, but I'm going to be looking at it phrase by by phrase. So, there was a time for Jesus to die. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he should depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So the text is speaking of Jesus' death when it states that his hour had come. 
His hour had come, the time for his death. Earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus' life was repeatedly spared precisely because his hour had not yet come. That appointed time for his death had not yet arrived. So in John chapter 7, we find that as Jesus is speaking at a feast, the multitude wanted to take Jesus and put him to death. But they were unable to do so because his time had not come. John 7.30 They were seeking, therefore, to seize him, and no no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. The Jewish leaders wanted to arrest Jesus and kill him as he taught in the temple, but they were unable to do so because his time had not yet come. John 8.20 these words he spoke to his tre- to, in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. So Jesus' life had been repeatedly spared because it was not the time for Jesus to die. But now Jesus comes and realizes that now is the time for Jesus to die. It is the time for Jesus to die. There were a number of reasons that made it the appropriate time for Jesus to die. I'm just going to focus on the one that's in our text. And that is in verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover. This is the time frame that is given to us in the scripture to depict this particular set of events. Of course, it's the, the Last Supper. Uh, It's the time in which he's spending with his disciples. Immediately after this, he's going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's going to be betrayed. And the next day, he's going to be be, uh, crucified. But in John chapter 13, it focuses on these simple words before the feast of the Passover. Jesus' death coincided with the Passover. That was no mere coincidence. That wasn't just some happenstance. That was purposeful. That was intended. That was the whole plan of God from the very beginning. In the Old Testament, Passover was the celebration of the children of Israel's deliverance from the plagues in Egypt. If you remember, there were a number of plagues uh, that uh, came upon the Egyptians. The most significant one, the last one, was the Passover. Uh, In that plague, an angel was to pass over the houses in Egypt. The firstborn son in each family was to be killed, except for the homes in which a lamb was sacrificed. And then the blood of that lamb, that was referred to as the Passover lamb, the blood of that lamb was to be applied to the the doorpost, the the sides of the the doorway, and to the lintel, the, the upper section of the frame of that door. The blood was to be applied... And as the angel would pass over the home, if there was blood that was applied to that home, then the firstborn was not killed. If there was no blood, then the firstborn was killed. The Passover, the angel passing over, and death would pass over for those that had the blood of the Passover lamb. Jesus is, in fact, the Passover lamb. He is referred to as such in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. 
Clean out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. So you've been set apart. You have been passed over. Death does not come upon you because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so John referred to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when he says that, he is thinking of the Passover lamb. So Jesus is celebrating Passover, knowing that this is the time that he is to die. What I want to focus in on is Jesus' response. How does Jesus respond knowing that his hour had come? For our text states that Jesus knew that his hour had come. Verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing that his hour had come. Jesus knew not only that he was going to die, but he knew the time of his death. And he knew that time all along. So, he could mark off a calendar. He could count down the days. Now, I don't know if you would particularly like to know the time you're going to die. I don't think I would. I don't think I'd want to know uh, when I am going to die. Surprise me. That would, be, that would be good. I don't want to know. But Jesus not only knew the time of his death, but he knew all the attending circumstances of his death. He didn't just know that This was the night before he was going to die. He knew all of the attending circumstances. He knew everything that was taking place. Notice John 13, 11. For he knew the one who was betraying him. For this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So as they gathered together for the Passover, Jesus knew the one that would betray him. That is of course, Judas Iscariot. It wasn't just at the Passover meal, however, that it was revealed to Jesus that Judas would betray him. Jesus knew all along that Judas would betray him. In fact, the scripture teaches that it was for the very reason that Judas would betray Jesus, that Jesus chose Judas to be a disciple. In John chapter 6, verse 64, it states, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. Then in verse 70 of John 6, Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Now he meant Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So Jesus said, I chose you, yet one of you is a devil. He chose Judas, knowing that Judas would betray him. So the entire three and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry, as the disciples are gathered around him, as he sends them out to minister... All of that time, he's fully aware of the actions, the attitude, 
the insincerity, the unbelief of Judas. He knew everything about his death. Our text reveals what Jesus was contemplating as he thought about death that evening. Notice verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and now this purpose clause, that he should depart out of this world to the Father. So, Jesus knew that his hour had come, and he knew the significance of that. And there were many attending circumstances associated with the the fact that he was going to die on the cross. There were a lot of things that were going to be accomplished. But uh, what he was focusing on at that moment was the fact that he was going to be with the Father. And Hebrew says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He longed to be with the Father. And he knew that this meant that ultimately that desire was going to be realized And he was going to be with the Father. That's good for all of us to keep in mind as we think about death. If we know the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, death means for us that we are going to be with God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And those were the thoughts that were on the mind of Jesus. He knew that it would be the time... That he was going to be finally glorified. Certainly the greatest degradation that Jesus ever faced. The greatest ridicule. The most severe opposition. The hardest temptation. All were associated with the cross. He was a man of sorrows. He was rejected. And... In the book of Hebrews, it says he despised the shame. Uh, He didn't appreciate it one iota. But he knew that the hour had come for him to be glorified. Notice uh, John chapter 17. Keep your finger here. We're coming right back. But in John chapter 17, this is all happening in the upper room. John 17. These things Jesus spoke, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, he said, Father, the hour has come. Referring to this hour of his death. The hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify you. So it was a time of Jesus' glorification. Jesus also knew that God the Father had entrusted to Jesus an overarching authority over all things that were going to take place. Notice now back to John 13, verse 3. Jesus, knowing... That the Father had given all things into his hands, and they had come forth from God, and he was going back to God. 
But the first part, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. And uh, things, not people. This is a neuter uh, uh, in the uh, Greek, which means that it is referring to, to things, objects, circumstances. Everything was under his control. Nothing happened that he could not exercise veto power over it. We saw that last uh, Sunday when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And uh, the soldiers come and they uh, say to, to him, are you Jesus? And he said, I am. And they, they fall down. Uh, Peter strikes the head of the servant, Malchus, and, uh, and an ear is lopped off. And Jesus miraculously uh, heals that ear, not just for Malchus's sake, but to preserve the life of Peter. And he said that not one of the disciples would be lost, and Peter's life was not lost. He had complete control over all of the circumstances that surrounded his death. That is why the Scripture teaches us that he went to, to death willingly. Willingly. He had complete control. And Jesus knew that he was very God. Verse 3. He knew that he came forth from God and was going back to God. This picks up on the idea of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things uh, were made by Him, and nothing that was made was made without Him. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus knew that He came from God, and that He was going back to be with God. If you look at verse 1, I've been talking about what Jesus knew. But if you notice in verse 1, in uh, the NAS, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus knowing. Not that he knew. Not that he was aware, but knowing. Okay? And without getting into a great grammatical lesson tonight, this is a present participle. And a participle it talks about that which is taking place in action. Okay? And so, uh, you could always translate these kind of participles with the, the word while in front of it. Now, before the Feast of the Passover, while Jesus knew that his hour came, would be a way that you could, you could translate that into to English. The point is, it's associating the verb with an action. It's associating the knowing with the doing something. It isn't that Jesus was simply aware, cognizant, but the idea here is that knowing this produced an effect. Because Jesus was aware of this, he acted in a certain way. It is because he knows that he is dying, and it's because he knows that he's going to be going to the Father, that he does something. What does he do? Well, hold that in suspense. And look at the second part of verse 1. 
having loved his own who were in the world. Okay, so now it teaches us that he uh, loved his own who were in the world. Well, now we got a, a, a participle again, but now it's a it's a, a participle that, that teaches us something that has an effect in the past and continues on to the present. He loved them, and of course he's going to love them unto the end. But we find in this verse, in verse one, that Jesus. Loved his own. Having loved his own. His own refers to those who belong to him. They were his own or they belonged to Jesus. Why? Why did they belong to Jesus? Two reasons. First, they were his own because they were given to him by the Father. Back to John 17, verses 1 and 2. These things Jesus spoke, lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy son, that thy son may glorify thee, even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him, he may give eternal life. So they belong to Jesus because the Father gave them to him. The Father entrusted them to Jesus. Jesus had a mission. He was sent by God in uh, Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son in order to redeem a people. And God gave them to Jesus. They were entrusted to his care. John seventeen six. I manifested thy name to the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. But this is not simply referring to the eleven disciples. But it refers to us as well. If you look at verse 20 of chapter 17, it says, I do not ask in behalf of these alone, but for also those who believe in me through their word. That's you and me. That's you and me. Those that believe as a result of the word of God. So, they were entrusted to God. Chosen before the foundation of the world. And then secondly, they were his own because he purchased them with his own blood. 1 Corinthians 6.19 or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 7.23 You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. So, he loved his own. Those that belonged to him. Those that were entrusted to his care by God the Father. Those whom he would purchase with his shed blood. Next, it says that Jesus loved his own as they were, namely in the world. Notice verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own, 
Now this phrase, who were in the world. Who were in the world. The world, most often as it's used in the scripture, speaks of a sinful place. Worldliness, ungodliness, unholiness. They were in the world. He loved his disciples while they were in the world. He loved his disciples while they were bickering among themselves who would be the greatest. Who would be the greatest? It is fascinating to me how the minds of the disciples worked. It's at this Passover meal that Jesus is going to reveal to them that one of them is going to betray him. And so, they begin to question among themselves, who would do this great wickedness? Who would do this great wickedness? And then the next verse after that says that they began to argue among themselves who would be the greatest. So, they start off by thinking, who would do such a thing? And they're coming to the conclusion, well, it certainly wouldn't be me. And the other one is saying, it's not going to be me. And it's not going to be me. And it's not going to be me. And so, all of a sudden, it goes from the attention as to who is going to betray Jesus and do that great wickedness to now who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. He loved them as they were bickering about who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom. He loved them while they were indifferent to his needs. He loved them in the midst of their arrogancy. For we find this passage that they're going to refuse to wash each other's feet. And Jesus is going to wash their feet. He loves them in their pride. He loves them knowing that they're all going to forsake him. He loved them at their worst. And of course, it means because we belong to him and we are his own, that he loves us at our worst. At our worst. What a comfort that is as we go to the communion table. He loves us who are in the world. He loves us at our worst. And then it says in our text in John 13, 1. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. To the end. What does that mean? Well, it could mean three things, and I think it probably includes all of them. First, the end of his earthly pilgrimage. Jesus loved them right up to the end of his earthly existence. Right up to the the very last breath. But more than that, he loved them to the uttermost. Meaning to the nth degree, to the fullest. He loved them to the to the max. John fifteen thirteen, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, the one would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus loved them in that way. He was willing. And more than just willing, he did lay down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for his own. 
He loved them to the end. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners. While we were still in our sin. He died for us. That's back to that same point of being in the world. He showed the greatest way in which a person can love, according to the words of Jesus, by dying for us while we were in our sins. Because we couldn't rid ourselves of our sins. We couldn't change ourselves. That requires the work of, of God. But notice then the end is the purpose. The purpose in which God had in view. This word actually comes from the word telos, which means end or purpose. He loved them with a purpose in mind, if you will. He loved them to an end. He, he loved them for a reason. His love is shed abroad to his disciples so that they would have fellowship with him. He called his disciples to be with him. He said to the disciples, the most common phrase, repeatedly given to the disciples, follow me. Follow me. It was an invitation for the disciples to be at his side. And his disciples were at his side for those three and a half years. Where Jesus went, they went. Sometimes he would go by himself off to pray. But basically they were with him day in and, and day out. They were given the privilege of walking with God. Now, they were given the privilege of spending the last night that Jesus had on this this earth together. Celebrating communion. And so, they had the privilege of being with Jesus. And that was the purpose. That Jesus came to this earth. John chapter 17, verse 3. Verse 2 said that, that he had come to give eternal life to as many as the Father had given to him. John 17.3 says, and this is life eternal. Here's the definition. This is what life etern- eternal is all about. And this is life eternal. That they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. It's to know me and to know you. And they're going to have the privilege of knowing God, knowing him fully. So Jesus said in John chapter 14, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, there you may be also. To be with Him. To be with Him. That's the great love that He shows to us That he wants us to be with him. And we're going to be with him for all eternity. 
John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, in order that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou hast loved me before the foundation of the world. Now back to this participle in John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, and that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from, forth from God and was going to God. Okay, so those are the participles. These are what he has in mind. This is what's motivating him. He knows that his hour is come, and he's thinking about, my hour is coming. And verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was going to be exalted, that he was going to do this great work. So these things are in his mind. I'm about to die. I'm about to be exalted. I'm about to be in the presence of the Father. So what does that cause him to do? Verse 4. He got up from supper, laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, he girded himself. And you know the rest of the story. He washes the disciples' feet. Why does he wash the disciples' feet? Knowing that this is the hour that he's going to die. Knowing that he's going to go to be with the Father. Knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand. He washes the disciples' feet. Most often, when people contemplate this passage, what people address is the humility of Jesus. And certainly that humility is present. But it's more than just the humility of Jesus, for our passage is talking about the love of Jesus and his love unto his disciples. And he loved them by serving them. Jesus said that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many, for those that would believe in him. The greatest service that Jesus did was dying on the cross. And now, in lesser service, but in no lesser love, he washes the disciples' feet. Now, why did I go into this whole thing? Well, because we're about to take communion. And we don't celebrate feet washing when we take communion. But there is something that, that we really need to understand. And that is that communion is a time in which we celebrate our communion or our fellowship vertically and horizontally. We celebrate our fellowship that we have with God through the blood and body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And horizontally, we celebrate the fellowship that we have with one another. Because of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That through his work, we have become one. And he says, and he prayed in John chapter 17, may they be one even as we are one.
We celebrate our communion with each other. Jesus said in, in John chapter 13, verse 34, highlights the, this whole conclusion. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. That you love one another. John 15, verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. We are to love Jesus just as Jesus has loved us. So, in application, let me just point out a few very simple things. First, we are to love those who belong to Him. We are to love those that belong to Him. We love each other because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He has made us part of one family. We are to love one another to the very end. First, to the end of our earthly pilgrimage, as long as we live this earthly existence. The marriage commitment is to reflect the relationship that exists between Christ and the church. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave him up himself up for her. So we are to love our spouses as husbands. We're to love our spouses the way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So how did Jesus love the church? With a never-ending love. He loved them to the end. It's because of that reason when we take the marriage vows we commit each other until death do we part. Thick or thin, rich or poor, sickness or in health, no matter what the attending circumstances are, because that's the way Christ loves us. And marriage is to be a reflection of the way in Christ loves us and gives Himself unceasingly, regardless of how the disciples are behaving or acting. He doesn't cease to love them and demonstrate that love even by washing their feet. There is never a time for us to stop loving each other. Now it moves bigger and it's not just about Marriage, but it's about the church. And by this, all men know that you will be, by this, all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. We say that so glibly. But the thought here is that nothing should separate our commitment from each other. We live in a, a day and age in which church hopping is so commonplace and people move from one place to another with no sense that if you are here, You're committed to each other. And it should be no matter what. This is my family. This is my brother and sister in Jesus Christ. And I must love them the way that He loves me, and that is no matter what. We are to love to the nth degree fully. 
We are to love one another even at our worst. Just as He loves us at our worst. At our worst. When we feel betrayed, when we feel abandoned, when we feel alone, when we feel unappreciated, we continue to love one another. Because that's the way that Christ loved us. And we are to love one another with a purpose in view. We are going to be together. For all eternity. Yes, we're going to be with the Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. And we're going to be together with one another. For all eternity. And we're supposed to look forward to that, according to the Thessalonians. That uh, the Lord will bring back with Him those who are dead in Christ. We're to be looking forward to not just being with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to be looking forward not to just to be with our husband or wife, because in the life to come there is not marriage or given in marriage. But all of us are going to enjoy a relationship to each other that's of greater commitment and of greater love than we know on the face of this earth. We will love each other more than we love our spouse now. Without differentiation. We love our spouse to help teach us about what that love is going to be like. But it pales in comparison. We are to be loving one another. All to the glory of God. So I'd like you to think about as we take communion tonight that we're really celebrating our fellowship that we enjoy with God and the fellowship that we enjoy with one another. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, when it's talking about uh, partaking of, of uh, communion unworthily, it says you are not discerning the Lord's body. The body that's being referred to is the people of God. Even as in chapter 12, there is one body. Hands, eyes, whatever. But there's one people of God. You don't discern the Lord's body. You fail to realize if you take communion unworthily, our commitment to one another. That's why it says... That one eats before the other, one's drunk. It's about, and it says, this is not the Lord's Supper. This is not what it's about. It's about our fellowship with each other and with God. So, I'm going to ask our, our brethren to come forward.